Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 323. Tim Maluli here today with you, and Brendan is in the room as well. Brendan, how's it going? Good. Ramping up for a long weekend. Doesn't feel like the end of summer, but I guess uh, not officially. That's what? Not for a couple weeks, but uh, Labor Day is the unofficial end of summer. Unofficial end of summer. Part of me still feels like it's somehow March 31st, but the other part of me is like kind of ready for fall. Yeah. Um, football starts next weekend, the NFL. Hopefully that goes smoothly. It's It feels odd to think that it's right around the corner like that. Yeah, going to be weird having some of these stadiums uh, without crowds, yeah. uh, at, least for, at least for some time being. But it should be cool. And yeah, I hope everything goes smoothly. But yep. What a weird year. Absolutely. Before we, we had a couple articles that we wanted to talk about today, but before we dive into those, we want to address what's been going on in the market the, the last couple days. Um, we're recording this on Friday morning, so the, the market is down again today. The NASDAQ is down more than the other indexes. Uh, technology was hit pretty hard yesterday as well, um, and you know the Dow and the S&P across the board was down a lot yesterday as well. So, Bren, what are your thoughts or, or your takeaways, or you know, from what's happening over the last couple of days to technology in particular, and just the market in general? Yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, two days makes a trend uh, or anything, but just, just a microcosm of why we uh, have exposure to different areas of the market probably seems like uh you know these last couple months here especially it it's like why why don't we just go all in on yeah. technology and NASDAQ why are we owning games? anything other than apple amazon google facebook yeah. you know those big tech stocks right so seems seems obvious uh and and people have come up with reasons for why these companies uh tech and cloud computing and all these other sort of companies that fit that mold have been doing well. We coming up with them after the fact. Well, you know, like people are at home and and their technology isn't as disrupted as brick and mortar traditional businesses maybe uh, and and other industries. So come up with these reasons after the fact and and certainly performance. You know, <laughs> uh, the the narrative always follows price. So so these names have been doing really well for a number of months now. But then you know the last couple of days have been you know hit hit harder than most areas so yeah um you, you just don't want to be too overloaded or have all your eggs in one basket there right and i think the the narrative that people have been making up in their head about you know why these technology stocks have been doing so well i think there is a large degree of truth to that but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're immune to ever going down or that they're going to be leadership forever right so I think, you know, looking at the market over the last couple months coming off the bottom in March, I mean, these technology stocks really did lead the way and kind of carry the torch. As we know with, with stocks in general throughout market history, they're, they go up and they go down. Um, I think people forget, it, you get so laser focused on what's happening in the short term that you forget that stocks can go down. 
Yeah, and or, they're gonna and they're gonna go back up eventually. Or you know, or that it ebbs and flows. Or that you shouldn't be all in on what's working right now, quote unquote, working because we we put together portfolios that have exposure to different areas, and at certain times you're gonna be super happy, like yeah. portions of our portfolio that that were exposed to technology growth segments for the last couple of months. Uh, that seems great. The last two days it seems not so great. Right. Uh, and so you balance that with things like small caps and mid caps, which have lagged, uh, international stocks, which have, everything has lagged U.S. large cap growth uh, in general, but to varying degrees. And so we know these things are gonna help our portfolios uh, over time, we just don't know when. And so we maintain an allocation to them because we know in the long run, we're gonna be glad that we had them. Right. Uh, they're, and they're probably gonna take different paths to having solid returns over the long term which is which is what makes them good partners in a portfolio with you know other areas uh, yeah. because they're not always going to do the same thing yep yeah like if you were 100 percent in technology stocks the last couple of days you're down a lot more than someone who has exposure to all the different areas of the market as well mm -hmm. I, I also think it's um it's always interesting to watch investor behavior you know shift back from fear to greed to back to fear and how quickly that that can happen. I mean, if you think back to February and March, I mean, that was less than pretty much six months ago right now. Everyone thought the world was going to end. And, you know, there was a lot of fear in the market. And it's, it was interesting to see how quickly people shifted back to the greed mentality and let's go all in on these these stocks and why aren't we making more? Let's just pile into what's working right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, and now, in the matter of two days, it's they've already kind of backtracked off of that. Yeah. We we went all the way to the other end of the spectrum, and yeah. it's it's uh, easy to rewrite history in our heads, but it was it was far from obvious uh, in February and March that we should be backing up the truck to buy any stocks at all, yeah. uh, let alone the specific names that have led the way off the bottom. It's only now in hindsight in these last month, you know, last couple months, month or two that it's obvious uh, yeah. out the rear view mirror that, yeah, we, sh we should have been buying technology stocks at the bottom in March. But yeah. nobody wanted to do that then. We right. The conversations we were having at that point were, were largely focused on the bond allocation of, of clients' portfolios and how it was doing its job and, and it was there uh, if clients needed to access any capital while the markets were down. Uh, and so we were talking about totally different things then. There were, there were not many clients who were calling in looking to uh, ramp up on high growth tech stocks at the time. Exactly, you know? exactly. So. Uh, yeah, so messy last couple of days, especially for the the leadership of the market of late. But uh, ultimately, I th I think you know our portfolios here are built with the idea in mind that we we have exposure to different areas because we anticipate stuff like this going going on from time to time. Yep, Ben Carlson I think wrote a really good article. Um, he highlighted the story about the McDonald brothers who started the franchise McDonald's. The headline of the article was how much money is enough. And I think that that is ultimately, in my mind, the most important question that someone can answer when it comes to their own personal finances. But I also think that it's probably the most one of the most difficult questions for people to answer. What were your takeaways from that post? That question, it, I mean, it's kind of like the genesis of, of financial planning, at least 
you know, one angle of approaching it because there's, right. there's like the mathematical way to approach that of, and, and clients who are listening have, have gone through this process with us of, of just kind of taking a look at, you know, what you need to live your life right now, which assumes that you're comfortable and that you're doing everything that you enjoy. And right. then using those numbers to kind of back into, you know, what you have and if it's enough yeah. uh, to continue living your lifestyle. And some folks are detailed people and they want to they want to dive into the mathematics behind that with us, which we're happy to do. Some people are more high level in the sense that they'd like us to do them do the math for them and then report back to say, yes, you yeah. you have enough. But you can kind of answer that question from from financial planning, uh, at least at least when you kind of flip that switch from being employed to, to uh, being retired and living off your money. But I mean, there's, there's just a whole, a whole nother level to that too, in terms of enough. And I, I, I think one of the, the quotes in there was just that the answer to that question of how much is enough is, is likely more, no matter, no matter how much you have. Right. Cause I was, I was just thinking, you know, if you go through that financial planning process and you think, okay, well, we've determined that this this set amount x amount is enough so once i get to that amount we have enough but i feel like a lot of people might get to that amount and then it might not feel like enough you know what i mean like that mm -hmm. you just constantly want more and it it goes back to what we were just talking about with greed and like fear and greed it's like well now that i've reached that point that we were trying to get to i want more yeah and uh, i think i think it's actually a combination of fear and greed, even though we yeah. sometimes place them at, at opposite, like opposite ends of the right. spectrum. Because I think, the, I think the enough question is being afraid that you're not going to have the resources that you and your family right. need. Maybe what uh, I thought was enough isn't actually going to be enough. Yeah. Maybe I should keep getting more just in case it's not enough. Yeah. So I think yeah. those, those two are intertwined there. I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's, it's one or the other even at that point. So it's a lot to wrap your head around. And uh, if I think if you don't consider you know, your comfortability and, and the resources you have, I, I think you could be in for, uh, you know, a lifetime of never feeling like there's enough, despite all, all signs pointing, all quantifiable signs pointing towards the fact that, that there is at some point. Yeah, they the, the story that he talked about in there with the two brothers who started McDonald's, I think was, it was pretty telling. It was a, a success story, I guess, in the sense that they were able to figure out what was enough for them and, and not really worry about how much money they actually left on the table. Because he said in 1960, they essentially were bought out from the McDonald's franchise organization before it really took off and started expanding. And they got, I mean, it, it was a million dollars each, which back in 1960 was a very substantial amount of money. But if you, in hindsight, you look back at how much they potentially left on the table, but they could have had multiples of that. But yeah, if they, but if, it didn't matter. To if them. they lived out the rest <laughs> of their lives and and were happy and right. enjoyed life with their family, like I mean, what does it matter? Exactly. Uh, so it's it's, it's ideally, a mindset thing. Yeah, yeah, ideally, like that's the point that everyone should should try and get to. But easier said than done. I think it's a For it's sure. a tough question to answer. There was a there was an article in Morningstar, and there was contributions from a handful of uh, different people that that worked there. And the topic was your number one money lesson. And there were there were a couple there were a handful and we'll link to them in the show notes. so You can check out all of them. But I think we each picked out a couple that really uh, stood out 
in in our minds. One I liked from uh, David Blanchett was just that good investing is boring. And I think that kind of goes back to what we started the show with because yep. it's, especially in the last like month or two, you just hearing about all these people day trading tech stocks like it's 1999 all over again and right. uh that's certainly not boring it's it's it sounds fun and i think that's why a lot of people do it but it's it's only fun when it's going when well when you're and doing it's well it's not going to go well forever yeah it's unfortunate that uh good investing is kind of uh it's kind of like getting people to eat their vegetables i wish i wish that it were uh sexier more fun sometimes because it would probably be easier to get folks uh, interested in it, but but successful long-term investing is not it's not a game. I mean, you shouldn't you shouldn't be uh, having a blast doing it. It's something right. that you should just be look 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 to be responsible about. And uh, you know, I I I think it'll be fun in hindsight, but it'll be fun yeah. like 30 years from now when you can say, wow, I did all that boring stuff for 20, 30 years, and look where I am now. And hopefully, then you can have fun with the uh fruits of your labor so to speak but right once you have enough yeah right but the act of doing the investing itself kind of boring sometimes yep and i think that uh for those listening if you if you watched the episode of the maluli asset show that we did this week that was kind of the message that i had as well we were talking about day trading and a lot of the difficulties that come along with day trading and the stress involved and ultimately the message was exactly what you just said it shouldn't be high octane, you know, high flying fun every day mm -hmm. uh, in the market. It's pretty boring. One that I picked out I th that I liked was from Holly Black. Uh, her lesson was don't just copy the experts. And I think, you know, if you watch enough CNBC or you watch Jim Cramer picking out his stocks on CNBC every day. Or Portnoy. On yeah, or, yeah, right. <laughs> just listening to the experts, I think you need to keep in mind you know what they're talking about they may not it's, even uh, necessarily be doing what they're talking about exactly but, but they give off the vibe that they are when they're on television right but the people talking up these stocks might not necessarily own the stocks that they're talking about yeah or they could be pumping them in the opposite direction telling right. you to buy so they can unload they can sell them at higher prices yeah, yeah. so you, you need to think about like the motives behind them and also i think not just the the talking heads on TV, but also like the investing lifetime guru people as well. We've talked about why trying to emulate Warren Buffett's every move is not necessarily going to be the right move for you. I think if you're going to learn from those guys, you should learn on a high level and yeah. try and take away like what's the what's the big lesson here, not necessarily what exact company did he just purchase and I'm going to go buy that. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah, you should be looking for those evergreen type lessons. Like from 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 Buffett, for instance, you should take away that like being patient, right, uh, with your investments. You know, m makes a lot of sense uh, in general. Not necessarily, oh, he just bought this thing. Let me go buy it too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it just goes back to the personal part about personal finance. Like what works for for Warren Buffett or for Jim Cramer or whoever is talking on TV or or whoever you're reading about, it worked for them. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you. Or that it, you have to do it that way to, to right. be successful. Yeah. You don't need to follow exactly what they're doing to a T. You can take lessons that apply to you and, and use it in your own life. But I think, you know, just trying to emulate and copy 
exactly what an expert is doing, thinking that's going to work well for you, the odds are it's not really going to work out the way you think it's going to. Unsurprisingly, uh, one of my other favorites was was from Christine Benz. I had uh, earmarked that one as well. Yeah, so yeah, she just said like the idea being that that we're too receptive to uh, the notion of reaching our goals without sacrifice. And, right. and she has this example of, of a friend of hers who met with an advisor who said, uh, oh, you, I think you, you need more small caps and uh, you should look at buying this this annuity. And Christine was like, I reviewed their situation and I think they should just save more and, and probably set up an emergency fund. Yeah, and spend and, less. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I think, uh, again, like the idea that sometimes good investing is boring, like the other, the other uh, favorite from this yeah. article that I had, because it's a lot easier for people in our line of work to say, oh, yeah, you need more small caps than it is to work through uh, cash flow and come up with a way that you can realistically uh, save more. But over the long haul, that, that increased savings rate is probably going to do a lot more for you than taking your small cap allocation from 10% to 20% or right. something. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's going to solve financial problems for people, uh, you know, for the most part, unless their investments are just an absolute train wreck, I think. Uh, yeah, she probably focus on other areas. Yeah, she called it getting rich slow. Yeah, uh, it's the same thing as you know investing being boring over the long term. You can't invest your way out of other bad financial or, or, habits. Yeah, bad for personal finances are not going to be fixed by by good investing. Yeah, I don't think. Yep. Yeah, I uh, I have yet to see it. Uh, you can definitely do the other. You can you can invest uh, suboptimally, but like you know. For instance, like if you could, you could have your money in very expensive mutual funds, which I would not recommend. Our clients know that we we prefer ETFs, uh, lower cost options like that. But somebody who saves thirty percent of their income into high cost mutual funds is probably going to end up with more money at retirement than somebody who invests in a super low cost. Uh, portfolio, but only saves five percent of their income. Right, like you, you're not going to overcome that just because you use better investment options. Right, uh, it's, it's, it's futile. I mean, it's, it's uh, even with the drag of increased costs, you're just going to lose so much ground because you're, you're saving less. Yeah, all absolutely. else equal. Yep. The last article that we wanted to talk about today is about the payroll tax deferral that went into effect on September first. So. That was just a couple days ago. If you haven't read too many details about it, this article in CNBC highlighted five things that um, we think that that you should know about it, just from an informational standpoint. The first being, for me, I think that it's a it's a deferral. It's not forgiveness at, at this point, and that's a key distinction I think that everyone needs to to understand. Meaning that if you choose to participate in this from September through the end of this year, through the end of 2020, um, you won't be paying your payroll tax, uh, social security tax, but it will catch up to you in 2021. They'll make up for it and start taking it. Uh, You'll essentially be paying double through January through April of next year. So it's just pushing it from these couple months. Taking your fourth quarter payroll taxes and making them first quarter 2021 right. payroll taxes. So it's uh, an effort to put more money in each paycheck uh, to people through the end of this year. But 
it it will you'll see it come out eventually i think yeah. is, is the point unless unless congress decides to to flip it into being forgiven then right. yeah it's it's going to come due at the beginning of next year yep uh this this also only applies to people who uh whose bi-weekly pay falls below four thousand dollars right um and, and that's like a hard, hard yeah yeah if too. you make a dollar more there's than no that, phase you're not out. eligible right uh and and I, I think I think importantly, just just because the just how messy some of this might be for for employers and employees, because we don't know yet if if it will ultimately be forgiven or if it's going to be due come beginning of next year. It's important if you're curious to to know about this. It's still just a, a few days after it was supposed to kick in. Uh, talk to HR because your employer may not even be doing this. I I would right. imagine that a lot are are just not going to do it because of the logistics of. Uh, it's yeah, just messy. Withholding. Yeah, exactly. That was one of the points too. It was not all employers uh, will offer this. Yeah. So, first question, if you're curious about this, is to talk to your employer, talk to your HR, and and yeah. figure out if they're offering it, and then figure out am I eligible? Am I eligible? And right. do I want to participate in this? Yeah. Uh, if I am. Yeah. It's uh, not like a it's not a mandatory thing. Also, and and this may not be on the table for a lot considering the year we've had, but they did they did bring up I thought a valid point that uh, the fourth quarter is is typically when a lot of folks will receive a, a bonus, and so um, if that comes in in a regular check or its own separate check, like you if you're if if you are doing this, but but a bonus puts you above the four thousand biweekly threshold, you may you may have to pay your payroll taxes on one check or another check because of just the amount coming in. But yep. Um, yeah, it's ultimately worth a conversation with HR, whoever handles that for your, for your company, just to see if if this is happening and uh, you know what what your options are if if you're uh, eligible or not. Yep. Yeah. So that article had some some good information. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, before we wrap up, since the NFL starts next week, uh, me and you are both Jets fans. Let's go on record. Assuming it's a normal season, all games are played, everything goes smoothly. How do you think the Jets do? I want them to be good, but it's it's been like a decade, so I'm very very uh, cynical at this point. I think they go six and ten, and Adam Gase gets fired. I would be okay with Adam Gase getting fired. I think the Jets will go nine and seven, and they'll do just well enough for Adam Gase to hang on Ugh. and ruin Sam Darnold's career. <laughs> <laughs> We're great Jets fans here, clearly not cynical at all. That's going to wrap up episode 323 of the Maluli Asset Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.